Hi everyone, my name is Rebecca and welcome to Where's the Map, a podcast about mental health, wellness, the hardships of being human, and learning how to navigate life. On this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about norms, labels, and diagnoses. Where's the map to show me how to do this? What do I feel deep inside? I need a map cause life's so damn confusing Hell, I'd even take a Thomas guide Where can I find the map? The map to life Hi everyone, welcome back to Where's the Map? Thank you all for your patience. Um, If you haven't noticed, which I'm sure that anyone who tunes in regularly would have by now, I did in fact miss a week of episodes and so I apologize for that and I didn't mean to leave anybody hanging. Things have just been a little bit hectic on my end over the last few weeks to say the least and I just didn't really have it in me to put out an episode on time. A lot of life things going on and I just didn't want to also potentially put out something that wasn't worthy of your time and of you, you you know, so generously taking the time to listen to my podcast and that wouldn't potentially be helpful just for the sake of it. So I appreciate your patience and your understanding. Life is hard, but it is what it is. I will be honest and say that I'm still a little bit discombobulated and getting this episode together was a little bit of a struggle in terms of like outlining what I wanted to talk about and figuring out what I kind of had to offer you all this week. So I really hope you still enjoy it and still get something out of it. And we're just going to see how it goes because, yeah, I have a bit of an outline here, but a lot of this I think is just going to be a bit off the cuff in that it won't be quite as scripted as usual. And that's something that I was actually thinking of trying out regardless of kind of what the chaos and the situation on my end has been over the last few weeks. I was wondering if it might be of value to be slightly less structured in my episodes. I find that I kind of go one of two ways and either sort of overcompensate and become very structured or I uh, I don't know if undercompensate's really a word even, but <laughs> for lack of a better one, I just don't plan enough and it gets a little bit rambly and then I find that I have to go back in and do a lot of editing to sort of get the key points and stuff like that but I always find that when I'm listening to podcasts that I enjoy um I really I really enjoy the aspects of them where there is sort of like a free-flowingness to it and where you get to hear hosts or guests just being people and so I guess I was just sort of thinking to myself that maybe that's something that would be fun for me to do as the host of this podcast. It might also be fun for you as the listener as well to kind of get to hear me speak a little bit more freely. And here's some of my, I don't want to say like more raw thoughts on things because I think that the content is sort of true to me no matter what, but just get to hear, yeah, me be a little bit more like uniquely me, I guess, and just kind of be a little bit more casual and relaxed. So I guess we can consider... (laughs) 
I guess we can consider this episode the pilot for that and we'll see how it goes. And if you absolutely hate it, let me know and I'll switch back to being a little bit more formatted. And if you like it, that's great. Let me know that too. I'd love to get feedback either way. Um, Ultimately, the podcast is something that I really do for all of the people who listen currently and will hopefully listen in the future even. I mean, it is something that I certainly enjoy as well. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. And I don't think that it would really be worth doing if I didn't enjoy it. But that's not really the sole point, I guess, of what I'm trying to do here. So if what I'm doing is or is not serving you well, those are both good things for me to know. Um, But with that, um, I kind of wanted to talk a bit about something this week that has sort of both a personal and more societal kind of aspect to them. And that is that I wanted to talk about labels and diagnoses and whether they can be helpful or hindrance in the context of mental health or both, and also how they relate to the social construct of like, quote unquote, normal. So this is something that I think I've thought a lot about throughout my life. Um, For me, it's because I was someone who struggled a lot very early on And I just didn't really have the words for my struggles as a kid growing up and even into my teenage and young adult years, really. And so I really do get how nuanced of a topic this is and how there are a lot of potential impacts of using labels and diagnoses and how they're used in our society. And so I just want to start by saying that I don't know that I'm definitively for or against one thing or another. I think there's kind of both merits and pitfalls that I'll kind of talk a little bit about, but just to get that out there, I'm not here to tell you how to feel about these kinds of things. I think a lot of it is a very personal decision and a personal opinion, and I think that's fantastic that, you know, we all have the ability to think through these things and kind of come to the decision that's best for us in terms of what works for our mental health and our situation. But I do think it's important to talk about it, regardless of where you sort of fall within that conversation. And I don't think that there are enough conversations happening about it right now. So on one hand, I get that labeling someone or diagnosing them with a mental illness or a mental health challenge can be really limiting. And I think that a lot of those limits are related to stigma. And looking back, I think that in my own personal experience, that is likely the biggest reason why my parents never really did anything in my situation. It wasn't just mental health stuff that I struggled with growing up, and that's kind of a separate issue and conversation. And I don't know that they necessarily knew the depths of the mental health specific things, but there are other things I know that I struggled with that they opted not to sort of get evaluated professionally or to not get diagnosed or labeled, for lack of a better way to put it, without giving too much personal information. Sorry, I know that is vague. Um, But I think that that really is sort of the reason for a lot of that, that is that they didn't want me to suffer more or be limited because of what it means to have certain labels or diagnoses 
in society. But I think that in a perfect world, they have what would be like the right idea. In a perfect world, I do think that whether it's for mental health, whether it's for other types of uh, limitations or what we kind of currently view as limitations or disabilities, I think that for things like, uh, you know, people who identify as being a part of the 2SLGBTQA plus spectrum, like I think in a perfect world, there would be all these people who we kind of currently categorize in these different boxes with different labels. And that wouldn't really be necessary in a theoretical and all accepting and it's not even just accepting, but it's like a world and society that's kind of built to cater to and to recognize the value of difference rather than sameness. And the problem that I sort of bump up against personally when thinking about these topics and when kind of exploring how I feel about labels and diagnoses, I think that's a big part of it for me that in a perfect world, I would very much love to not have to label things and just recognize that everyone is different in a myriad of different ways. And we can all just kind of accept each other as we are, not assume things about someone based on what is quote unquote normal or what is quote unquote um, like typical, I guess. Like for instance, a good example of that is like, outside of the mental health realm, which is kind of a little bit different, but like outside of mental health, how, for instance, in terms of our gender identity, it's just assumed that your gender identity is the same as the sex you were born at birth, or it's just assumed that you're straight until you come out and declare otherwise. And so we sort of have these kinds of defaults I guess in terms of like what is yeah sort of the norm or typical I guess is really the best way I can put it in our society and that goes for being neurotypical that goes for you know assuming everyone has a certain capacity physically unless otherwise stated all these kinds of things when really everyone is nuanced people are nuanced no two people are exactly the same even though we may share commonalities and things like that. So I think that it would be great to someday get to a place where our societal structure and our cultural values are different from how they are now. And in that kind of environment, labels wouldn't be as necessary or maybe even necessary at all. And I would love to see that happen sometime in my lifetime. I mean, that would be the the dream, the goal, I think. But the thing about labels and diagnoses now is, I think, twofold for me. And one of them is that having a label or diagnosis, while not fantastic, takes the blame and shame off the person themselves. And I know that there is and can be a whole other kind of stigma surrounding all kinds of different things that we label and or diagnose within the context of our culture and society. 
But for instance, calling someone lazy or saying that their inability to get out of bed or be productive at school or work or to even get up and take a shower, looking at those things, which say in my case could be symptoms of depression, for example, and instead calling that a character defect of that person, that puts the sort of fault, quote unquote, or blame for that sort of what we consider to be like subpar humaning, I guess, for lack of a better word. It, it, it considers it to be that person's fault. And it, it, it's sort of like a personal failing is how it's viewed. You could say the same thing about someone who is dyslexic and struggles to read until you recognize that there is a challenge they're facing in how they learn and how they're able to get information in a certain way and that they have trouble with that in a way that the quote-unquote normal people don't have. You just blame the person. You tell them things that would be considered character defects about them. You tell them that they're stupid. You say that they're not smart enough. You say that, you know, they're behind. And even if these things aren't directly said out loud, they're very much implied. You feel them. We all know what society is thinking about us when we don't fit in, even if no one comes up to your face and says, you are stupid or you are lazy. We get those messages all the time. So don't think for a second that just because someone hasn't like marched up to you and declared it to your face or to my face doesn't mean that that isn't the message we're being told in so many different ways. So the thing about labels and diagnoses in that situation is that, like I said, there is absolutely still stigma with basically anything that we label or diagnose as something that is contrary to the norm or the contrary to healthy or whatever it may be but it takes the fault off the individual and that can be really helpful in some cases it can be life-saving because I can I will just talk about my experience because I think that might be easier than trying to generalize and sort of talk about this more broadly. Before I knew that I had a diagnosable mental illness, and before I knew about some of the other challenges I faced and what they actually were, I was just downright confused. And it was almost like um, like emotional gaslighting or like inadvertent gaslighting in a way where it was like, all these people around me are telling me either straight out or, you know, more subtly and inadvertently that there is something wrong with me. But me personally, I liked who I was. I like who I am. And so then it got to a point where my thought process was, okay, I think I'm okay. But all of these other people outside of me have this same prevailing opinion that there's something wrong with me, that I need to be fixed, that I'm not blank enough that I can't do this or that and that I should be able to that I'm defective in some way and so then it not only became I'm defective in some way it became I am so defective 
that I can't even understand what's wrong with me. (laughs) And so when that is how you feel about yourself, that is when you get people who get into things like self-harm or start to consider suicide or have suicidal ideation. And I don't know that I would be here if I hadn't got some counter messages along the way, if I hadn't figured out and been able to name what those challenges were, what those differences were compared to what it seemed like everyone around me expected me to be. So it one, it took the blame off of me. I'm not lazy. I'm not defective. I have depression. (laughs) I have anxiety. You know, I'm not crazy. I have a mental illness. It, It helps to be able to label an experience or diagnose a condition because yeah it really just takes the personal blame off the individual and it also gives you a sort of context for understanding what your experience is you know not everyone's experience of depression anxiety of any mental illness or mental health condition will be identical but there are definitely certain commonalities, certain symptoms. And while you may not have every symptom, you will have some of the symptoms. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the thing. You would be diagnosed with something else or you would not have a diagnosable condition at all. So it helps you understand things about yourself through the context of the diagnosis or through the context of the label that you are given or in some situations that you even give yourself if it's more of an identity thing versus a diagnosis thing. Um, I think that the second thing, though, too, is that when you don't diagnose challenges, especially when a person is in childhood, you then don't get the support that you need to be successful in our society in the way that it's currently structured. So if you get a diagnosis, if you have a condition that can be considered a disability in one form or another, whether that's physical, intellectual, cognitive, learning disability, mental health, like whatever it may be, if you have a condition that falls into what we currently consider being that category, you can get accommodations, you can get help, you can get support, you can get medication, you can get access to resources. In a mental health case, you can get access to therapy. Um, And so both in terms of a medical sense, but also in terms of a, in terms of one's ability to function in society, you can get the supports that you need to be I don't want to say successful because that's not the right word and I know that it might seem like it is um and that may that may come in later that may be a conversation for a whole other episode um but you can get the support that you need to be able to function adequately to navigate our society I think that's a decent way to put it (laughs) and so you know we do accommodate for people with disabilities but only if someone 
has a disability and labels themselves as having such. And so it's really challenging to navigate life without certain labels and diagnoses when the way that our society is structured is just fundamentally not meant for certain types of people. And I'm going to do my best to explain this, and this is where success and my thoughts on that will also come back in, but I don't know how eloquently I can explain this, but I'm going to try, so bear with me. But what we kind of take for granted as being normal is really essentially a social construct. We have societally defined what it means to be quote-unquote normal, and then in opposition to that, we have defined all these other types of ways of being that are seen as counter to normal or abnormal. But really, there is no normal human being. There is no human that fits every characteristic, every character trait of the the normal idealistic human. And I'm not going to get into the details of proving that. There are books and authors and researchers who have done that work. Um, I can point you to books by Jonathan Mooney, for example. He has a book that I just read called Normal Sucks that contains some of his personal experience, but also some of the history behind normal, where it came from, how it got introduced as a societal concept, um, and sort of the background in that, the different ways in which we've failed as a society to produce like someone who fits every aspect of the mold of normal. And so with that in mind, I guess the thing is that we are all sort of varying degrees of different and we have very sort of specific structures in our culture and society at least here in western culture and society i can't speak to other places in the world but in western culture and society we have very narrow socially constructed ideals of what things like normal are and not just normal but also things like success and when I think about success what other people think of as being successful or what is to be considered success in a more like broad societal sense it's not the same thing that I think of as success I think Societally, success is about being at the top of your field. It's about having a lot of power. It's about making a lot of money. And there are other nuances to it, I'm sure. But I think that we can all agree that that's definitely at least a version of success that has been heavily pushed on us maybe is a good way to put it. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but we're going to go with it. (laughs) But there's a, a very certain narrow idea of what success is that has sort of been, um, portrayed to us, I guess, as like, this is what you should be striving for. And for me personally, those things just don't resonate with me. And 
that's okay if you don't agree with my values. I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying I'm right or that there's only one way to feel about this. But what I'm saying is that collectively, we don't really take the time to evaluate like what we consider to be valuable to us and instead are just kind of handed expectations by the culture and society that we live in. So with that in mind, and I hope I've explained that adequately, because there is no inherent definition of like what a quote unquote normal person is, and that's, like I said, it's just something we've constructed over time. It's a social construct. That also means that what we consider to be a disability or people we consider to have disabilities aren't inherent either. Again, it's a social construct. We've determined that based on the society we've created, these people are essentially at a disadvantage and in some cases aren't valuable. And I don't believe those things. But in in a society with a very, very narrow sort of range of how people are able to be and thrive like you have to be a very specific sort of um you have to fit a very specific mold I guess of what is expected of you in our society in order to thrive in order to pay your bills in order to be autonomous and I think we forget that we're all interconnected and we all have strengths and weaknesses. And the two things that I'd like to point out about that is that one, just because someone has a deficit in some area or another that not everybody has, they probably also likely have strengths and value and things that they can contribute that not everyone else has either. So And it all depends on the environment you put them in, right? And I'm going to use a kind of stupid analogy that I came up with thinking about this to myself one day, but hopefully it kind of illustrates my point. If you are a fish and you live in a world with no water where in order to be successful, quote unquote successful, the thing that that you do, I guess, in this society that is of value is climb trees. Is that fish ever going to be successful? No. Is it even going to be seen as valuable in that society? No. Ultimately, it's not going to live very long with no water because fish need to live in water to survive, and we know that. But think about all the types of creatures that can climb trees. There are a lot more than just one type. And so some of them, like a squirrel, might climb trees with extreme ease. That's no problem for the squirrel. They are benefiting from this waterless tree-filled society. And then you think about people. Are we great at climbing trees? No. But can we do it? Yeah. Is it going to be harder for us than the squirrels or you know, other animals that can climb and are built to climb trees. They're literally built to climb trees as a part of how they were made and how they evolved. We're going to struggle more. That's just how it is. We're not really meant to climb trees the way a squirrel is. (laughs) And so 
if you look at that as sort of a very sort of broad and uh like vague kind of um overview of like what could what our society kind of looks like when put into an analogy like that you can think that people with certain kinds of what we would consider disabilities um or challenges to be almost I don't want to say see I can't even say I wanted to say inherently unvaluable in our society and I don't believe that's true but based on you know again if if you're the fish and the way that you get status the way that you make money the way that you survive is you have to climb trees like there are just some animals not even just fish but let's stick with fish for sake of not getting too crazy here (laughs) there are going to be some animals like the fish that just they can't succeed they can't like there's just there isn't a way for them to be quote-unquote successful in that world of trees and then you have the people of that analogy and the people of my tree-filled world analogy are the people like me the people who pass as quote-unquote normal but aren't so by looking at me you would never know that I have mental health conditions. By looking at my grades in school, you would never know how much I struggled to achieve them. By looking at where I live and some of the luxuries I'm lucky enough to afford, like having my own car or having a horse, you wouldn't know that holding down a quote-unquote normal job is hard for me. So in that tree analogy, I'm kind of like the human because am I built to do what is required of me in our society? No, I am not someone who is going to be inherently good at climbing trees. But I've learned to do it well enough that I can get by and pass for normal. And then you have the squirrels who are just completely benefiting from this waterless tree-filled world system because that's what they're meant to do. And in our society the way it is now, I think that we often fail to recognize that our society really only ensures success for one very sort of specific type of person again that construct of normal and kind of fails to recognize the value of all of the different types of people and that people of all different types of abilities are going to have different strengths and weaknesses and that even within the quote-unquote normal there are going to be people who have it easier than other people I mean, think about how many people you know, and have you ever heard any of them complain about how much they hate their job? Have you heard them complain about the Monday to Friday 9 to 5 work week? Have you heard them complain about sitting in traffic for hours on the way to and from work? Have you heard them complain about not getting enough time with their family? 
have you heard them complain about how they feel stressed out by work and how they feel like they always have to be on and reachable by text, by phone, by email, 24-7? There are a lot of things that I think aren't working for the majority of people. But again, in my tree analogy, those people are people or they're an animal again that's maybe another type of animal that's got tree climbing ability somewhere between a squirrel and a human and I apologize this analogy is getting way too complicated but my point is they can force themselves to do it but is it negatively impacting their well-being maybe is it negatively impacting their life satisfaction and their happiness probably and so I guess my point is that just because we've always done things a certain way or we have a setup that sort of caters to one very sort of narrow specific skill set and set of strengths and set of ideals, it doesn't mean that that's the right way or the only way. I don't think we should stop catering to the people that our current society caters to, but I think we should start catering to more types of people in addition to the ones who are already thriving in the environment we've currently created. And so then to take my crazy tree fish analogy one step farther, think about what would happen if you flipped the analogy on its head. So instead of having a fish who lives in a society where they're expected to succeed solely based on their ability to climb trees, what happens if suddenly the earth is flooded. There's only water. The fish, they're going to be the ones who thrive in that situation. But the people, the squirrels, can squirrels even swim? I'm not really sure about that, to be honest. Maybe I should have looked that up before starting. But even if they can swim, I mean, we know people are able to swim. Are you going to be able to swim indefinitely? Are you going to be able to live exclusively underwater? No, we would drown. We would get tired. We would run out of energy. You would get hypothermia. We are not built to live in a world filled with water. But that fish who, in the tree situation, seemed completely invaluable and like it just, it, it didn't fit within that structure at all. There was no room for someone who was a fish in that situation thrives in a flood while the types of animals that were thriving in the tree climbing world would ultimately perish. And so I just think that there's more than one way to define success. There's more than one type of way that people can be valuable. And we all have something to offer, but it's not all going to be the same one standard, very narrow thing. That's just not how it's going to work. And so (laughs) I think that we honestly do ourselves a collective disservice by valuing sameness in the way that we do and valuing the same strengths, skill sets, and abilities and solely those things when we have all of these different types of strengths and abilities available to us because of having people of all different types of abilities, experiences, genders, identities, orientations, like everything. 
And so I think that we honestly sell ourselves a little bit short. And so the one thing I do want to double back to, I guess, is specifically in the context of mental health. I think that there are aspects of depression and anxiety, for instance, in my case, that are sort of worth treating. And you have to keep in mind that when it comes to physical and mental health conditions, they are health conditions. So there are going to be aspects of them that would be worth treating. Whereas when you talk about other types of disabilities or other types of conditions or other types of identities or experiences, it would be a little bit different in some of those cases that are not medical in nature because those are the things that I think would be more likely to fall into the spectrum of things that don't need fixing. It's in those situations, society that is kind of backwards and needs to change. We shouldn't be changing those people to fit the society. But if you have a medical condition, if you have a mental illness, there are probably going to be some aspects or some symptoms that are worth treating. Um, But it's a combination of both, I think, because I've also long since wondered if, you know, it is the world that's broken instead of me. And not exactly the world, but really, yeah, just the culture and societal aspects I've been talking about. I mean, I think... Glennon Doyle really hits it on the head in that regard when she talks about maybe I'm actually responding appropriately to a broken world and all the people who aren't acting this way or feeling these things are the ones who don't make sense. Like when you're anxious about something going on in the world, like world events and things like that, things that pose a real threat to you are worth being a little bit anxious about. And our world is kind of on fire right now, literally and figuratively, in case you haven't noticed. So in those situations, I would be kind of worried about people who aren't anxious or aren't concerned about those things. And so when it comes to mental health, I I think it's a combination of both. But I do know that when it comes to improving the quality of my life, taking medication, doing therapy, those are things that, you know, make me feel better. They improve my experience. But there are other aspects of my depression and anxiety that I don't necessarily think need treating or changing, though. For example, my struggle to find a suitable job and my inability to work 40 hours and five days a week. And it's one of those things where I'm like, Do I believe it's important to contribute to society? Absolutely. But do I think a nine to five job working 40 hours a week at the expense of my own health and wellness is the only way to do that? Not at all. You're talking to someone who started and successfully, (laughs) there's that word again, ran a registered charity for six years because I care about giving back to my community. I care about being involved in the world I care about being alive and about helping people so it's not like I'm saying that I don't think I could healthily work five days and 40 hours a week and I'm gonna spend my extra time sitting on the couch playing video games also nothing wrong with taking some time for yourself and playing video games sometimes 
but what I'm saying is not like oh we should just be able to do whatever we want whenever we want like that's not my point but my point is I'm sure there are some people who enjoy working five days a week I'm sure there are some people who it's an absolute hell for who struggle to make it through each day because they are not cut out for the way our world is structured and working five days a week in an office or in a in a job office or not just might not be their strong suit and there should be a little bit of flexibility and there should be options for people who have a lot to offer but maybe that's just not the right format or the right form for them to offer it and the bigger problem with all of this I think is that I talked a little bit about how our current cultural view of success and what is kind of valued when you live in a capitalistic culture and before anyone jumps at me I'm not saying capitalism is bad I'm not saying it's good either but I'm not I'm not voicing a view on capitalism how's that this is not about that what I'm saying is we live in a culture that is capitalistic and the values of that culture tend to be things like productivity power accomplishment achievement success and you know all the things like those that the problem with that is not that those are the values but that by extension it we really only value people if and when they become those things when they become productive when they become powerful when they become successful when they accomplish things and so we don't inherently value people as they are and society and societally we are also expected to value these things personally at the expense of all else including our health and well-being and our time with family and friends relaxation self-improvement learning proper sleep time offline like we just don't give people room to breathe kind of and so what my conclusion has kind of been is that in the flawed world that we live in and I don't know that there's a perfect scenario or situation I don't know what the next steps are to creating a culture and society that better serves everyone as they are and better utilizes everyone's strengths and abilities as they are I don't know what that next step is and I wish I did but I don't and that's really all I can say but given the situation we're in now labels and diagnoses are really often the only way that some of us can ensure we get our needs met and so is it a perfect solution absolutely not but until something shifts until we collectively change what we value and are able to value the differences in one another and recognize the inherent value of humanity I think it's kind of the best we've got right now um like I said in a perfect world we wouldn't need labels and diagnoses but I don't know if that world can ever exist I don't know that there's such a thing and if it is something that we're able to achieve someday we're just nowhere near close to that yet and so given given the the situation we are in it's it's a beautiful idea but I just don't think that we are at a place where that really 
make sense yet. So I hope that gives you something to think about with regards to labels, diagnoses, norms, both in a mental health context, but also in a broader context. And I think that it's challenging. It's a nuanced topic. And I hope I did an okay job expressing myself. Like I said, getting this content together this week has been a little bit of a challenge for me just because things have been a little bit tumultuous on my end. So I hope I articulated that okay. And I would love to hear your thoughts. If you have a point that you want to jump off of or a counterpoint you want to make, I am always up for respectful discussion and engaging in these conversations further. And I just like to hear what you think. If this is a new idea to you, did it ring true? Did it not? What do you think about labels and diagnoses? And again, like I started with, I think it is a very personal and nuanced decision, even within our current structure. For some people, maybe it is more worth it to struggle a bit but pass as normal and that's sort of the the challenge they want to take on there's no real one good or easy way whether you are able to use a label or diagnosis to get accommodations whether you consider yourself disabled or not within the context of our current society or whether you try to hide your differences and conform and appear like you are not limited in certain ways and I don't really blame anyone for making any specific choice and I think that it comes down to the choice that you're able to live with and that makes things the best they can be for you in the situation I think that something a therapist said to me years ago now when I was very first diagnosed with depression and anxiety is that Oftentimes there is no perfect solution and that's something that used to trip me up a lot, especially when I was early on in recovery because I was always looking for the perfect solution, the solution with no downfalls. That's how I knew it would be the quote unquote right thing to do. And when she told me that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Of course, there's not always going to be a right and a wrong choice there's oftentimes just going to be a lot of gray not black and white and sometimes the only options available to you all suck and you've just got to pick the one that's the least sucky or that you feel best aligns with your values of the three or that you can live with of whatever choices are available to you even if none of them are ideal and so I think that's important to to keep in mind too there is no perfect solution there is no perfect choice and we're all just people doing the best we can so with that I think it's time for me to stop ranting and move on to our local service spotlight On this week's local service spotlight, I am going to do something a little bit different. I think I've said it maybe four different times now, but putting this episode together was a struggle for me. I was a bit all over the place when I was figuring out what I wanted to talk about. And specifically, I was having a very big mental block around what service I wanted to spotlight this week. 
I have used and know of countless mental health services in Toronto, the greater Toronto area, within Ontario, especially throughout the last 16 months or so, 18 months of the pandemic, because everything is now online. So I've literally used services across the province, and I could not think of a single one that I wanted to feature. So I decided to spotlight a book instead, and I'm going to take the time to tell you a little bit about why. But first, I should probably tell you what the book is. <laughs> that would be helpful, right? So the book is called Save My Life School, and it's by Canadian author Natalie Harris. And I believe that I actually mentioned Save My Life School very briefly in a previous episode when I was giving some of my mental health related book recommendations. But it is truly one of my favorite resources when it comes to mental health. And I think it's also easily one of the best and most relatable portrayals of what it's truly like to live with and ultimately seek help for mental illness. I will start by giving you a little bit of context, I guess, of what the book is about. So it's written by Natalie, who was a paramedic here in Ontario, and she essentially ended up with a post-traumatic stress injury from a situation that she encountered on the job and her book is very much her story and it is her story it's not my story to tell but it's really interesting because she shares her story in a very unique blog or journal entry-esque kind of format it's a little bit less formal than other books or memoirs I've written in the past and it's really honest and raw and it is stuff that she wrote throughout the process of experiencing mental illness of seeking help of getting into recovery it, it's not one of those things that's all written after the fact which no shade to those kinds of books either that's actually sort of not quite the kind of book I'm in the process of hopefully trying to write right now, but it does sort of fall more into that latter category than what Natalie had done. But because, I guess my point is, because parts of it were written sort of in the thick of the different parts of her experience, it's got some very unique qualities to it, and it's really relatable, and I think it gives a very good, realistic look into both what different types of mental health treatment and programs are like. It also gives good insight into what it's like to live with mental health challenges and to experience addiction and to experience post-traumatic stress and to fight towards recovery and to what your state of mind is like. And it, it really gives you a glimpse inside her life. And so I think that that's, that's really interesting and important and that's what really makes it stand out for me beyond other books I've read of a similar nature and not to say there aren't other great books out there because trust me there are tons of them I live for reading mental health related memoirs but I digress the other thing that it also highlights I think which is just as important is the importance of mental health resources and awareness 
and a reduction of stigma surrounding mental health and mental illness, specifically when it comes to first responders. And this is something that is personally important to me because someone who has been an important person and role model in my life now actually works as a first responder and I think that's pretty rad um so that sort of gives me a whole other light in which I kind of think about this now but Regardless of whether you know someone who's a first responder or not, you have to recognize that first responders can have incredibly challenging jobs and there really is not enough support for people who are essentially risking their health and well-being and their mental health, like not just physical health or well-being, but their mental health on a daily basis to help all of us and to keep people safe. And so that I think is also really important to get a glimpse of and to take away from this book. There are more resources now than there have been in the past. Change is slow. I mean, that's usually the case with change in any arena. Um, And actually, sorry, (laughs) while I'm talking about that resources for uh, first responders. Actually, I do have a, a service to spotlight this week. Um, one sec, let me look it up. Um, because I actually just realized while I am talking about this, that there is a fantastic resource that goes along with this directly. And this resource is called Wings of Change Peer Support. And it's actually an organization that Natalie founded after she began her recovery journey. How could I forget about Wings of Change? (laughs) So, okay, let me pull it up here. So their website is wingsofchange.ca and Wings of Change Peer Support. um, I'm going to read a little bit about them from their website. These are their words, not mine. It says... During these meetings, we participate in anonymous, solution-based discussion and education regarding any work-related trauma and mental health challenge. We always refrain from trauma talk, which is call or patient details of any kind, as this may be a trigger to participants and is best discussed with healthcare professionals. All first responders, law enforcement personnel, correctional and communications officers, members of military, healthcare and child protection providers, animal, funeral, and judicial service workers, along with any other profession which is exposed to work-related trauma, be it career, retired, or volunteer, are all welcome to attend these meetings. And their side note slash caveat is that while an employer might be providing this meeting's contact and location information as a resource they sanction, they are not directly affiliated with this meeting. I am also not directly affiliated with Wings of Change in any way, as you probably can infer because I forgot about it until a few minutes ago. But it is a fantastic organization. I can certainly vouch for Natalie and this awesome peer support network she has created. Um... If you want to find out information about meetings online or potentially in person as things start to open up a bit and we transition back to some in-person services happening even over the course of the summer, 
I would recommend checking out their website, which, as I mentioned earlier, is wingsofchange.ca, W-I-N-G-S-O-F-C-H-A-N-G-E.ca. You can also contact them by reaching out to the contact page on their website, which is literally wingsofchange.ca slash contact, or you can email them at WOCPeers, so W-O-C-P-E-E, that was too many E's, one second, <laughs> W-O-C-P-E-E-R-S at gmail.com. And that is how you can get more information or find out how to get involved. And now, I guess before I move on, I'll say if you are someone who falls into the category of people who Wings of Change was designed for, definitely check it out. I think it's a fantastic resource. And regardless of whether you have a mental health challenge, whether you are a veteran or completely new to the world of mental health, check out Natalie's book, Save My Life School. I know they have it at chapters for all of my Canadian listeners. I also would recommend trying to find it at a local bookstore if you can. Um, but it's fantastic. It's one of my favorites and it's still my go-to when I'm struggling a little bit or when I'm feeling a little bit off maybe in terms of mental health and if I'm just having a bad day or like more symptoms than usual. It's kind of nice to have a book where you can see firsthand that someone else definitely can understand and relate to what you're going through. And for those of you who have someone in your life maybe who is living with or struggling with a mental health challenge, addiction, anything like that, and that's not an experience you have personally, might also be a good resource for you to check it out and it might help you understand a little bit more about their experience and what that's like and how to be a support for them. So yeah, please check it out, Save My Life School and Wings of Change. And now let's move on to the question of the week. All right, we're almost there, guys. <laughs> I apologize that this episode is so long, but I appreciate your patience, and I hope that you enjoy the extra content. I know I've thanked you a couple times now for being patient with me while I got my shit together after missing the most recent episode, but I'm actually a little bit glad that I struggled to get my shit together because it means that I now get to address a very important question that I wouldn't have been able to address if I had posted this at the usual time because if I had, this situation would not have happened yet. So to give you some context, the question of the week this week is a little bit different from ones I've done other weeks and it's not a specific question asked to me by a listener but it's one I've seen floating around a lot on social media and in the news and on different media platforms over the last week or so. So to give you background, the Olympics have been on for the last two weeks in case you were not aware or are not an Olympics fan and that's fine. I personally love the Olympics but that is beside the point. And so in the Olympics, uh, team women's artistic gymnastic final, Simone Biles, who is an incredible gymnast from Team USA, was set to compete in the finals as a part of the USA team. And after her first vault, which 
she did not execute correctly. She was meant to do a skill with two and a half twists and accidentally only completed one and a half, barely landed and stuck her skill. It was a bit of a mess. And the reason that she was struggling, she came out and said later, is that she was struggling because of her mental health was not great at the time. And what she did was she actually opted out of the rest of the team finals. So that was the first event. And she opted out of competing on bars, beam, and floor because of her mental health. And she also opted out of the all-around individual finals, the vault finals, and I'm not sure what other finals she was up for. I have a feeling it was probably all of them. I know she did compete beam, but I believe that's the only one she was eventually able to compete in. And so her actions to take care of herself and to put her mental health first and to pull out of the rest of the events of the team competition have been very divisive, at least on the internet, I will say. So I wanted to take the time to share my personal perspective, and that's all it is, my perspective, on two related questions I've seen a lot from people who don't understand the potential importance of what she did and why. Mostly just because I think it's an important conversation to be having. I get people who don't get it, but I also think that the fact that there are so many people who don't get it means that it's a conversation we need to be having more of. So the first question that seems to be being debated in online spaces is whether she should have pulled out of the rest of the events in the team final or not. And my perspective is that yes, a hundred percent, a thousand percent yes, she made the right call. And that's for two reasons. The first is more of a practical reason and that is that when you are not in a mentally good space, that makes gymnastics, which is already a very dangerous sport, even more potentially dangerous. And your risk of injury or, you know, there have been sports events where people have passed away from an accident. Um, not a great thing to think about, but it can happen and does happen, unfortunately. Um, and so pulling out, if for no other reason than safety, because she was not doing well mentally, I think is absolutely the right call, if for no other reason. But even if her safety hadn't been a factor, if it was guaranteed that she would be fine, and the worst case scenario is that she would just perform poorly. I still say, hell yes, Simone Biles, you go girl. <laughs> I don't know that I can get away with saying that. It sounds a little cheesy coming out of my mouth, but I would still say it. Um, and the second question is, why is what she did so important? And I think that 
what I want to share with you will answer both why what she did was so important, but also why I would still say that her decision was absolutely the right one for her and for, I would say, anyone in that situation who didn't feel up to competing for mental health reasons. I, I think that what I have to share will answer both of those. So on Instagram this week, I actually posted a really impactful quote that Simone said in press after the fact when talking about why she had to pull out from the rest of the team final events as well as some of her individual finals later on in the week and the quote is I have to focus on my mental health and not jeopardize my health and well-being and so first of all I just want to say that is incredible even just talking about mental health on a world stage on a platform like that with everyone watching um I think that's just awesome because like I said, these are conversations we have to be having more of regardless. But I wanted to take a minute to share what I wrote in the caption beneath this post because I think it really quite perfectly encapsulates my feelings on the questions people have had about her decision over the last week. So here is what I wrote. It took me a minute to post this because I wanted to figure out what I wanted to say before joining this conversation. First and foremost, Simone Biles is a frickin' hero. She put her well-being ahead of everything else, and that, my friends, is not easy for anyone to do. And to have the strength and courage to stand up like that and state your need to take care of your mental health with the whole world watching? Well, I think that solidifies her reputation as the greatest of all time more than any medal ever can or will. We live in a world where so many of our societal values are totally backwards and upside down. We put productivity before people. We put results before rest. It may not be spoken aloud per se, although sometimes it is, but the undeniable underlying message in our culture is that we as humans are not inherently valuable. Think about that. As a society, we value being busy, being productive, being efficient, and being successful at the expense of human well-being. That needs to change, and I applaud Simone for not only recognizing that, but helping to make that change a reality. Maybe this is radical, but it shouldn't be. There is a difference between self-discipline and self-destruction for the sake of meeting others' expectations or living up to societal standards. Career, work, sport, grades at school, none of it should come before or at the expense of health, mental, or physical. And just because you can't see mental health the way you can see a physical injury or an illness with physical symptoms, it doesn't mean it isn't there. That it's simply a failure of character for not quote-unquote just pushing through it, or that it doesn't have the ability to be equally debilitating or even life-threatening. I have so much gratitude and respect for Simone knowing her limits and taking care of herself. Where is the fucking medal for that? And so that's what I wrote. And I think it's important to think about because... I think we're all guilty of it sometimes. I know I have been, and I am a freaking mental health advocate. But there have still been times where I have viewed mental health as different from physical health. There are times where I have thought, oh, I wish this person could just pull it together 
when they're struggling with anxiety, but you would never think like, oh, I just wish this person would get over the fact that their leg is broken and just walk on it. They're fine. Like it's, it's not fair to say those things, but it's how we view it as a society. And I like everyone else. I came up in a society too. I am affected by these things. I work hard to learn and to grow and to try to overcome some of these stereotypes and stigmas and things that we're sort of just taught because it's in the air we breathe. But it's a hard mental shift to make because of our culture and societal values. And so I really do empathize when people don't get it or haven't figured out how to look at these things in a different way or when they do see physical health as being different than mental health. I don't agree with them, but I empathize for why that's their perception and why that's their experience and their opinion or how they see a situation. And I think that's why what Simone did and why these conversations are really so important because this is how we've always done things it doesn't mean that it's what's best for us. And I think that the world would honestly be a better place and people would be a lot happier if we valued ourselves and each other a little more and our external achievements a little less. And one thing that Simone posted after this that really got me, it pulled at my heartstrings, was on her Instagram where she posted a photo with the caption, quote, the outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize that I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before, unquote. And isn't that what we all just want? To know that we're more than our job, our success, our accomplishments, to know that we're enough just as we are and that we're intrinsically valuable? I think it's universal and it goes far beyond sport, but I really appreciate and applaud someone like Simone for bringing it to the forefront and for being the catalyst for these conversations and for getting people to talk about these things and above all for doing what she needed to do to take care of herself and knowing that at 24, I might add, my God, is she awesome, knowing at 24, that her health and well-being is worth more than an Olympic medal, than any gold, than anything she could accomplish in her sport, that she is more important. And so I applaud her, I thank her, and I hope that you all can learn something from her and that my answers to some of these questions that I've seen bouncing around a lot over the past week or so can hopefully help you see the other side of it, even if maybe you don't agree or don't get it yet. That's okay. Um, but I do appreciate it when you take the time to listen, even if you might not think the same things I do. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Where's the Map? If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, share, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever listening platform you use, or... If you really liked it, maybe do all three. And if you didn't, don't worry about it. Um, want to ask me something for a future question of the week segment? You can email us at where's the map pod at gmail.com or you can find me and where's the map updates on my personal Instagram page, which is at I am Becca Ashley. 
Thank you so much for listening and stay safe, everyone. I hope you have a fantastic two weeks and I will see you next time with a brand new episode of Where's the Map? And hopefully I will be on time. (laughs) Have a good one, everyone.